Literature Corner. Apologies, I didn't warn you yesterday. I always say that I will and then I don't. Abel, you sort of reminded me, but not really. <laughs> and the apologies is because I know some of you lucky ones are employed. So I should have asked you to take your book to work so that you can run to the bathroom and call us and read from it. Because today is the reading corner, which is one of your favorite parts of the month. We do it roughly every five weeks or so. So maybe it's a poem you want to read. Maybe there's a beautiful essay that doesn't just say something compelling, but it's crafted so wonderfully. You couldn't believe that you find such beautiful writing in a newspaper. Or maybe it's an actual book that you have on you that you're currently working through. Anything goes. Uh, let's read for each other. Now, I know you get carried away and I never stop you because I love your love of reading and your love of literature. But try and try and really just um, restrict yourself before I'm going to have to ask yourself in ANC language to arrest yourself if you're going for too long. O double one double eight three O seven O two, give us a call. And in Cape Town on O two one double four six O five six seven. One of my self indulgences about the reading corner is that I normally only decide as I leave my house what two books to take from my library and it's quite random. One is Becoming uh, Michelle Obama. I don't know whether I'll get to read it because I know a lot of you want to read and you'll have first dibs. And I'm busy with it at the moment. Beautiful. I've read about 20 pages and loving it. Yes. That's my current book. Have you read it, Tom McGuinney? Yes, I've read the first 20 pages as well. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but I'm getting there. And then a book that I, I told one of my colleagues I'm going to give him a copy of this. Um, is What Will People Say by Rahana <clears throat> or so, which I still insist is a book that should sell even better. It's sold quite well. It should sell even better. It's still relevant. And it's a wonderful book that should be taught in South African schools. It opens up so many conversations. So if I do get a chance, I will read from one of those or both of those. But I want to give you a chance to read first. Tomagwina, what are you going to read from? So I, I, during the holiday, I read a lot of books. Um, I read Sasanke's book. I read your book. I also read Michelle Obama's book. But I, I wanted to read this book because I've been feeling a bit fatigued about my life, about what I want to do. And I'm not really a self-help book person. Mm. But someone bought um, me this as a gift in December and I thought you know what let me actually go ahead sure. and read it and it's inspired me to actually do a lot of stuff go back to gym um, go to Toastmasters join Toastmasters this year so I thought cool. you know what let me actually um, give people a little snippet of The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes um, and mm. it's just uh, uh, that book's uh, done quite well commercially it has it does it's done very very well and I don't think it's just because that she's because of, of her oh, being yes, famous yeah. she writes well but also I think that a lot of people need to psych themselves into doing certain things that will lead them to mm. you you know, their, their dreams, their goals. And sometimes it gets ty tiring, especially when you're doing a nine to five. That's true. So I think it gets you out of that paralysis of uh, being uh, or having a nine to five, just saying yes to little things, changing your routine a little bit. Mm. And uh, I'll just read from page 79 where she says, maybe you know exactly what you dream of being, or maybe you're paralyzed because you have no idea what your passion is. The truth is, it doesn't matter. You don't have to know. You just have to keep moving forward. You just have to keep doing something, seizing the next opportunity, staying open to trying something new. It doesn't have to fit your vision of the perfect job or the perfect life. Perfect is boring and dreams are not real. Just do. You think, I wish I could travel. You sell your crappy car and buy a ticket and go to Bangkok right now. I'm serious. You say, I want to be a writer. Guess what? A writer is someone who writes every day. Start writing. Or you don't have a job. Get one. Any job. Don't sit at home waiting for the magical dream opportunity. Who are you? Prince William? 
No, get a job, work, do until you can do something else. So, Stunning. Something simple, short, but I think it just it helped me to just get I into like the groove that. of uh, of January and just moving forward. Ticket bought for Bangkok. Uh, <laughs> don't even have a car that time But okay, thank you Shonda I love it, give us the title again uh, So it's The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes And a lovely title as well, The Year of Yes Go get it, Tessa Hello Hello Fave coming for a visit How are you Hello? Tessa? I'm well in you, Tavis. I wasn't sure you were talking to me for a moment. No, it was just a grammatical pause. I love, there are healthy pauses and that, and then there are awkward ones. With you, it's not an awkward pause. So I was, I was happy to wait for technology to get us back. Great. Are you well, though? <laughs> I've never been better. The world is a good place and worth fighting for. What are you going to read for us? I'm going to read an excerpt from um, Rishwafati uh, Shikane's book, Breaking a Rainbow, Building a Nation. Lovely book. I hope and it continues selling well. There was some good initial fanfare around it, and I hope people don't forget it. So I'm glad you've picked that one. Yeah. So before I read, just to give a bit of a preface about why this piece is important, um, he just before this point makes a distinction between young people who were born into post-apartheid South Africa and post-1994 South Africa, <laughs> and how both their realities and their sense of power um, and their ability to exercise power in the society is um, different. Yes. And I think it's an important commentary in the entire nation, and I think he articulates something that we all feel but not don't necessarily always say. Yeah. So um, that's why I chose the except from Badri. Go for it. All right. Um, the Constitution means nothing if people do not already have the constitutional values and the respect for the rule of law. Post-apartheid thinkers put, um, put the words of the Constitution ahead of the values it wishes to bestow upon citizens. They are unable to extrapolate the values of the Constitution across space and time because they locate the problems in society within the context of the post-apartheid state. Challenging post-apartheid thinkers view and land as I've shown, devolve their minds into what is set down in the Constitution, what constitutes the rule of law, instead of promoting, uh, instead of prompting them to question the values of the Constitution and our conceptions of the rule of law. Post-1994 conceptions of South Africa, as opposed to post-apartheid ones, don't place the change from apartheid state into a democratic one as the defining identity of the country. The understanding of post-1994 thinkers is that the state is the same as the apartheid state, only with democratic institutions. At the end of apartheid, doesn't um, doesn't act as a curriculum for the conception of society. The year 1994 is just a marker on an ever-changing society, but with, with whose basic identity of separate development amongst racialized and gender groups remains the same. Beautiful. And that was one of the nifty little conceptual distinctions that I thought he employed so well politically. Thank you for lifting it to the surface, Tessa. Great. Thank you, and have a gorgeous year ahead of you. Cindy, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Extremely well, thank you. What are you going to read? I'm reading Option B by Cheryl Sandberg. Mm. Yeah, I recently, I actually bought this book about two years ago, but then I think... Life is just waiting for me to read it for a purpose. Hmm. So uh, after I um, experienced 
things, um, my contract not being renewed at work and things did not go well, suddenly I fell into depression. So while reading this book, there was a very interesting um, paragraph of it that actually really um, spoke to me personally. Um, the paragraph goes by, um, we plant seeds of resilience in ways that we process negative events. After spending decades studying how people deal with setbacks, psychologists found three P's stunned recovery. Number one, personalization. The belief that we are at fault. Two, two preventiveness. The belief that the, an event will affect all areas in our life. And number three, premise. The belief that the set, after the, after the aftershocks of the event will last forever. So these ones made me really realize that um, whatever situations that happening in life, number one, it shouldn't be your fault. Mm. Try to find um, reasons why you're going through this and also find um, lessons. It is kind of hard to find, to try to pull, pull yourself out of negativity and find like the light and positive aspects of it. But it, it really made me realize that Everything that happens in life, especially in, in, in life, you always have option A and option B, hmm. but never try to personalize whatever negativity that happens in your life. It's not your fault. I need to deal with it. Thank you, Sandy, so much appreciated. Lebo in Bloemfontein, good morning. Welcome to the Literature Corner. What are you going to read for us? Hi, Sirius. I'm, I'm going to read Case and Lodeka's The Quiet Violence of Dreams. Yay! <laughs> Um, okay, I'll start. Um, time moves slowly in a mental hospital. It forces you to think about things, to scrutinize the events that make up your life. I've been so alone in my thoughts, so isolated in my pain. I've forgotten what it's like to be with people, to be looked at and not looked the other way. Often deep into the night, I lie awake alone, listening to the gentle scraping of branches against my window. Hmm. It is so lonely. So silent, I can hear the quiet work of trees growing, their branches stretching towards the sky like dances. And in the morning when I wake up, I search for a blue sky and golden sun. They are my prayers. I search for the boy I lost along the way and the stranger who looks back at me in the mirror. I miss that boy terribly. I search for the silence that will bring balance again, that gentle happiness that comes with just being alive. Mm. <laughs> And to think this man wrote all of this brilliant stuff in his 20s, eh? Yes, it's such a beautiful book. Absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thank you, Lebo. Thank you so much, Stevie. Thank you. The Quiet Violence of Dreams. Definitely worth reading in the unlikely event you haven't yet read. K. Selodaker. 17 minutes after 11. We're reading for each other today. Pick up the phone and read for us. Can it be a poem? Can it be lyrics of your favorite song? Your favorite book doesn't have to be a current book. Maybe it's one you keep going back to. Uh, Just read and let's get the nation reading. The Literature Corner. Here's a poem dedicated to famous Aki Anastasio. It's called Aki's Traffic Nightmare. 702 Radio Highway to Hell. It's six o'clock in Joburg and the hoopla's hit the fan. It's the Monday morning mayhem of trucks and cars and vans. Old Ucky's on the airwaves and his nerves are on the fray. He's gonna burst a blood vessel, his hair is turning grey. There's a jackknife at Galoolies, the highways bathed in beer, 
A combi tried to dodge it and hit a jetter in the rear. Another nine then followed in a domino effect. The Nucky threw a hissy fit. The guy's a nervous wreck. He takes a call from Randburg. There's a cash heist on the go. There's a shootout down on Main Street to add to Aki's woes. All the roads are cordoned off till they hard hunt the baddies down and Aki chooses Knuckles Raw. He feels like leaving town. He gets another message. The taxis are on strike. They've blocked the M1 freeway and they're pitching for a fight. And there's two guys down on Greystone who want to break each other's necks. The one oak bumped the other, so the loser ends up dead. And half the city's robots aren't working anymore. The cops are having breakfast at work behind closed doors. They should give this guy a medal or at least a shiny star. And you wonder when he knocks off why he heads straight for the bar. Yes, this Greek's empire is in ruins every morning in this town while he tallies up the chaos of just trying to drive around. But tonight he'll dream of clear roads, blue skies and sunny days. Then tomorrow come 5.30, he'll wait on his phone and pray. Alistair Butchard. I think that's the funniest thing I've heard in ages, mate, eh, Baba. I think it's the lovely. creativity is hilarious. <laughs> I wonder if I heard that. I'm going to have to forward it on to you. That is just so amazing. Wow. Yeah, I think our work is done here. What are you going to read for us? Cool. I'm going to be reading from Michael Lewis's The Undoing Project. Recently, we just have been fascinated by just behavioral economics. This book is basically about how we make decisions. And whether using your gut feeling is actually the best thing to do. And it turns out it's not. But I'll talk to you about it. There's, there's, there's a whole show there okay. which we can do. <laughs> but I'll read this part. A middle-aged, ma- a middle-aged banker takes the same route to work every day. One day he takes a different route and is killed when a drugged-out kid in a pickup truck runs a red light and swipes his car. Ask people to undo the tragedy and their minds drift to the route the banker took that day. If only he had taken the usual route. But put the same man back on his normal route and let him be killed by the same dragged out boy in the same truck running a different stoplight. And no one thought if only he had taken a different route that day. The distance the mind needs to travel from the usual way of doing things to some less ordinary way of doing things felt rather than the trip made from the other direction. In undoing events, the mind tended to remove whatever felt surprised, surprising or unexpected, which was different from saying that it was obeying the rules of probability. It's actually, it's a nice pick too. And I'm glad you are multitasking, thinking about producing. It's quite interesting. I thought you were going to say the opposite, that um, often our gut even though it's not popular to go with gut and lived experience, that it might turn out to be a good guide. You um, know what I mean? Yeah, not because we live to. in an area where everyone tells us, stop 
going on about your anecdote and your sample of yeah. one. It's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a short little example he makes, Michael, is like when he looks for a doctor or a dentist, he goes for the person who least likely looks like a doctor or a dentist because they're actually more likely to okay. have tried harder than the other ones who seem to have all the attributes <laughs> of that industry. So, <laughs> that's what he knows. That's fascinating. Andy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having us. Um, read from a book. What are you going to read from? I am reading from The List um, by Barry Galba. It's, um, it's, it's fiction, but with some reality. So, you know, um, Barry Galba used to be an MK vet, born into the white community, mm. um, was in exile with the ANC, um, played a huge role in um, the fight against apartheid, and he worked in the intelligence services. And now he's put together this book called The List, which is based on, you know, the rumors that there was a list that was given to Nelson Mandela about um, some of the comrades who were used by the boys to infiltrate the ANC. And what um, makes it more exciting and thrilling is that maybe some of um, um, these uh, uh, agents from the boys can still be in the ANC government um, post-apartheid, which is what I found very interesting Mm. and exciting. So I'm going to read um, um, from uh, one of the chapters uh, about a, a conversation where the rumors about the list starts. Um, hey, Jerry, it's a long time since we've had secrets full stop, except for the ones we carry to the grave. You lean forward, push you. You're also unempty class away to rest close to Bongi. I light a cigarette and stand up to slide open the French doors behind me. You smile and take a cigar from the breast pocket of your long-sleeved Guayabara, a cigar clipper, and reach for my lighter. The silence as I wait for you to finally get the end of your cigar, glowing the loud sound of Bongi's fingers clicking on the keyboard to drift into the room. You remember the list, Comrade Jerry? The list? What list? The list, the one the boys are said to have given Madiba when he became president. Oh, that list. The list, the one with the supposed names of war agents in the ANC. Yes, Jerry, that list. Does it really exist? Why is it coming up now, 25 years later? Wait, Jerry, let me go back. Your cigar has gone out. You flick at the lighter, which always ignites first time for you, and suck in your cheeks heavily as you go to the cigar back to a glowing end. I was called this week by the minister. Which minister? Sandili. She called me in the middle of my lecture. I had to leave the lecture and make my way from Pumalanga to Cape Town. Don't tell me he wants you back to take over the service again from the sellout. Ha! Actually, that's what I thought he wanted. That's thought when he called. And why are you telling me this? I asked myself. Please don't tell me he wants me back. I think I'm too old for this SHIT. He wants me to set up a task team. You were the first name I gave him. A task team for what? Wait, Jerry, let me finish. You're getting like Bongi now. You don't mind when she interrupts you. Um, just hmm. something there. Sorry, mm, mm, fascinating. Yeah, no, you have me. It's a, it's a cliffhanger. Thank you for sharing that one, Andy. Much appreciated. Annalisa, good morning. Morning. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm going to be reading Care for the Soul by Thomas More. Okay. Okay, so soul is not a thing, but a quality or dimension of experiencing life and ourselves. It has to do with depth, value, relatedness, heart, and personal substance. I do not use the word here as an object of religious belief 
or as something to do with immorality. When we say that someone or something has soul, we know what we mean, but it is difficult to specify exactly what that meaning is. Care for the soul begins with observance of how the soul manifests itself and how it operates. We can't care for the soul unless we are familiar with its ways. Observance is a word from ritual and religion. It means to watch out, but also to keep and honor. As in the observance of a holiday, the serve in observance originally referred to tending sheep. Observing the soul, we keep all eye on its sheep or whatever is wandering and grazing. The latest addiction, a striking dream or a troubling mood. Hmm. Fascinating. Thank you, Annalisa. Appreciate it. I think we can squeeze in at least one more. Alma, Nalisha, thank you so much for holding on. You've been holding on. What are you going to read for us? Hi, Zegis. I'm going to read The Broken River Tent uh, by Mputsumi Mdabeni, which is an excellent historical novel. It's quite interesting as well. I'm enjoying it very, very much. Oh, fabulous. So, here you go. So, um, here goes. Pila had invested many an afternoon with his mother on that garden. When his father came around, their eyes met. Nothing was said. Pila refused to be browbeaten this time. Those two seconds defined their relationship henceforth. Embarrassed, his father turned back and went inside the house. He had discovered his own stubbornness in his son's eyes and felt found out. Found out because he had not been in the house the whole week. Found out because he had no integrity to demand authority. Found out because he understood that his son had decided to step up into the birth he had left vacant by deserting him. Found out because he had been unreasonable and childish, made himself too ridiculous to recover his dignity. Felt he had speeded up the moments of power exchange between a boy and his father. Growing up shocks us. Pila reflected, because it always carries a price of humiliation, oh. whether of ourselves or those that we respect most. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. If you are born black to a poor black family in some township or village, going to varsity after matric would be a luxury and sacrifice for your family. Even if you manage to go, you are likely to drop out because your family has no money for fees and no access to loans either. This is why corporates looking at candidates should not solely rely on qualifications, but rather look at ability and will too. Undoubtedly, there are professions where formal qualifications are not negotiable, but broadly, the reliance on paper qualifications for many professions will forever condemn black people to poverty. Uh, that is from Kayazanga, his latest books, These Things Do Really Happen to Me. And that's it. Thank you for loving reading loving books and i really hope that you don't just do it on the show but that you develop that culture even at home read for your kids read for yourself aloud read for colleagues for lovers i really think there's something magical about reading aloud